scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Hebrews. We'll read Hebrews chapter 1, all 14 verses in connection with Lord's Day 12. Hebrews, of course, speaks of the priesthood of Christ as well as his kingship. We find references to that even in the first chapter. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten uh, into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, but unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? That far we read. In God's holy, inspired word, may God bless that word to our hearts. I'm going to make special reference to the ninth verse where it speaks of being anointed with the oil of gladness. All that in connection with Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 12, 
questions and answers 31 and 32 found on page 8 in the back of the Psalters. We'll read that. Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption and to be our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us and also to be our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation he has purchased for us. But why art thou called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of his anointing, that so I may confess his name, and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterwards reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, have you manifested that you are partakers of the anointing? And have I manifested that I am a partaker of Christ's anointing in our lives this past week? Have you fought against sin and against Satan? with vigor? And have you confessed the name of Christ before men by our words and by our actions? Have we shown forth the work of Christ in us? And have we offered our bodies a living sacrifice of thankfulness for all that God has done for us. The fact that we are partakers of the anointing of Christ will manifest itself in our lives. Now I don't say it will manifest itself perfectly because the truth is we have only a small beginning. We all fall short as regards our showing forth that we are Christians. And so when we see that, we again see our necessity of Christ. We need a Savior who can save us to the uttermost. We need a Savior 
who can give to us grace and the Holy Spirit in this life so that we can live as Christians. We need one who can govern us and defend us in this world of wickedness. The Catechism is taking us through the Apostles' Creed. We have dealt in the past with the fact that God is our Father for Christ's sake. That part of the confession in the Apostles' Creed. Now the Catechism is taking us through our confession that we believe in Jesus Christ. And so, last Lord's Day, you looked at the truth that he is Jesus. That is, Savior. And now we look at the title, Christ, the Anointed One. Children, what was Christ anointed to do? What was Christ anointed to do? Why did God the Father anoint him? To save us. To save us to the uttermost. We want to look at that this morning. Jehovah sent forth Jesus Christ to save us as prophet as priest and king. And now I want to look at those in reverse order. I want to take that as our theme, Christ anointed to save. All three aspects of his anointing are necessary. Christ anointed to save. Let's look at his being anointed first as king, then as priest, and lastly as prophet. I often have this in catechism when I ask the children, what does Christ mean? And often there's a confusion between the name Jesus, which means Savior, Jehovah Salvation, and the title Christ, which means Anointed One. But when we say the name Jesus Christ, immediately it ought to come to our minds that he was anointed. Christ was the anointed one. And then we ought to think of what it means that he was anointed. The idea of being ordained and anointed is a common theme throughout Scripture. If we look at the Old Testament, we find that idea of being ordained and anointed as regards the kings. So then we read of Samuel, who God sent to anoint David to be the king. God ordained that David would be the king and he caused David to be anointed. And God ordained that Elisha would be prophet, and he commanded Elijah to anoint him. 
And we find that also with the office of the priest. God ordained that Aaron would be the priest and he caused Moses to anoint him. Prophets, priests, and kings were ordained and anointed. And then that means when someone was anointed, immediately they would know that God had himself ordained them to serve in office, commanded them when that anointing oil was put on them, that was also calling them to serve God in their office. And in that service of God, they were to do good, good in the highest sense, they were to do good to God's people as they served their God. And just as God called these men to special service, it's significant that God told those who were doing the anointing to use a special oil. This was not just an ordinary oil. We read of that anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, Exodus 30 verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, take unto thee sweet spices, stacti and anica and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight, and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. That was a description of the anointing oil. And that special oil was never to be used for anything common. It was only to be used for special purposes. And anyone who tried to use it to reproduce that recipe was to be cut off from the people. God would have this special anointing oil to be placed on those who were to serve in those special offices. And now anointing someone with that special oil, that pleasant smelling oil, that was a picture of equipping them to serve in the office. And now imagine this oil is put on one of the office bearers, say Aaron the priest. He has that special oil on him and he goes about in the tabernacle doing his duties all the while smelling that sweet smelling savor, that perfumed oil that was placed upon him, that oil would make his service a glad service. That oil was a picture of equipping them for glad service. And then you can understand why Psalm 45, for example, calls it the oil of 
gladness. The oil of gladness because it made them glad in their service. That's the picture of the anointing oil. When that anointing oil is placed on the office bearer, it equipped them for glad service. That's why Hebrews quotes that verse from Psalm 45. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. This is a reference that the catechism uses as well in our Lord's day. Hebrews 1 verse 9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of of gladness above thy fellows. That's speaking of the oil of gladness being placed on Jesus Christ. Not that he had a literal oil placed on him, but that was the picture. Jesus Christ was anointed with the oil of gladness. He received Not the picture, but he received the reality of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit without measure. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus went about to save his people. All the time that he was upon the earth, as he received that anointing of the Holy Spirit. He went about to save you and to save me by his work. What a wonder to think of Jesus being anointed by the Holy Spirit, anointed with that oil of gladness so that he would say, I delight to do thy will. So when we talk of the Christ, think of his anointing and that in the first place that he was anointed to be our king. And what does a king do, children? A king has a kingdom. And so Jesus, as he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, went about to set up a glorious kingdom. And in that kingdom, he takes us to be his citizens. The catechism speaks of that in question and answer 31, when it talks about Christ as being anointed to be our eternal king. And now think about all the references to Jesus' kingship. When he was born And the wise men came from the east. They said, where is he that that has been born king of the Jews? He was born the king. And when Jesus started his ministry, he proclaimed the gospel and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And during... The time that Jesus hung on the cross, all that time behind him, or above him rather, 
was that superscription that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He hung on the cross as the King. So that now you can see everything that Christ did in the whole of his life was as one anointed to be our king. Everything he did was in order to set up his glorious kingdom. What did he have to do to set up that kingdom? He had to pay the ransom for all those who would be citizens of that kingdom. He had to pay your ransom and my ransom so that we would have the right to be members of his kingdom. He had to do what kings do. He fought against his enemies. He fought against those great enemies. He fought against sin and Satan. He fought against that last enemy, death. And he overcame all of those enemies when he went to the cross. What was his reward? God exalted him and set him at his right hand. Hebrews 1 speaks of that exaltation in verse 3 when it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, that's speaking of his work on the cross, when he had purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. God set him at his right hand to serve as king. And what does Christ do now from heaven as king? He begins that kingdom in our hearts. He comes to us by his word and by his spirit and brings us into his glorious kingdom of light. Takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. And by the same word and by the same spirit, he defends us from the attacks of the enemy around us and keeps us in his kingdom. And now think about Christ ruling from heaven. He rules by his power over the whole universe, over everything that occurs in the whole world by his power he rules over your circumstances and my circumstances in order to bring the greatest good to us, the citizens of his kingdom. He rules by his power over all things and he rules in his church by his grace. Jesus Christ, the King. What's the evidence that Christ has taken us into his kingdom? What's the evidence that we are now members of that glorious kingdom? 
that we are partakers of that same anointing? Well, the evidence, the catechism describes this way, that we also partake of that anointing as regards his kingship. The evidence is that we, with a free and good conscience, may fight against sin and Satan in this life. Christ has made us partakers of his anointing. And now as we have that spirit working in us, we fight against those same enemies that are enemies of Christ. We fight against sin and Satan in this life. We fight. We fight the good fight of faith as soldiers of the king. We strive so that we are not entangled with the things of this world. We fight against sin and Satan. That's an evidence that we are partakers of, the, of Christ's anointing. If we live our lives and we're not fighting against sin and Satan, if there's a sin that we are happy to allow to remain in our lives, well, that would give evidence that we're not partakers of his anointing. But when we are partakers of the anointing of Christ, we will fight. We will abstain from fleshly lusts which war against our souls. We will fight against Satan who goes about as a roaring lion seeking to devour us. We will set up, as it were, hedges around us because we don't want to be tempted by him. We will determine not to love the world and the things that are in the world. Are you fighting, beloved, against sin and Satan? Am I fighting? I ask myself the same question. Does that characterize your life? A constant battle against sin and Satan. When we examine ourselves, we'll see that we fall short in that fight. And that shows us again our need of Christ, our King. We need Christ every hour of every day. We need, therefore, to pray to him. And we pray to him daily, thy kingdom come. Rule in us, so by thy word and spirit, that we might more and more submit ourselves to thy rule in our lives. The catechism speaks of that anointing that we partake of, causing us to fight in this life. But now Christ, the King, who has begun that good work in us, will surely 
bring us to glory. And there in glory, we will also reign with him. The catechism says afterwards, we will reign with him eternally over all creatures. What a comfort that Christ, our king, is strong to save us. But in order for Christ to be our king, he must also be our priest. Both of those offices are united together in Christ as well as the office of prophet. We'll speak of that in a moment. But he must also be our priest. Why must he be our priest? Because of the justice of God. The answer lies in God's justice. The kingdom that Jesus Christ sets up must be based upon the principles of God's justice. And that justice of God has to be satisfied if we are going to be included in that glorious kingdom. God couldn't simply decide to set aside that principle of justice. God cannot simply say, well, I know that you have rebelled against me in Adam, but I'm just going to forget about that. I'm just going to take you into my kingdom, the kingdom of my dear son anyway. God cannot do that. He has to have his justice satisfied. And so we need a priest. Rebels must be punished. And now we need a priest to come and offer a sacrifice to satisfy God's justice. There's the picture also in the Old Testament. When you think of the high priest in the Old Testament, what does the priest do? The priest works to bring the people into fellowship with God. That's the picture in the Old Testament. Beautiful picture. When you think of the tabernacle and that once a year, the priest would carry into the Holy of Holies on his breastplate 12 stones with the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And the picture was that the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with and representing those people. It was as if he was taking them into the place where God dwelt, into the Holy of Holies. That was what the priest did once per year. But children, what did the priest have to do before he went into the Holy of Holies? He had to offer the sacrifice of atonement. Before he could bring God's people in that picture form into the Holy of Holies, he had to offer a sacrifice that shows a picture 
of God's justice being satisfied. The reality of that picture is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who is our priest. Jesus Christ who offered the sacrifice. Jesus Christ who offered himself as that perfect sacrifice on the cross. Just as the high priest of old would take those 12 stones into the Holy of Holies, Christ as our priest is working to take us into covenant fellowship with our God. But he does that on the basis of the sacrifice that he has offered for us. He must pay for our sins. Hebrews 1 speaks of that. We referred earlier to verse 3. And at the end of verse 3, it says, When he, that is Christ, when he had by himself purged our sins. There's his work as the priest. He purged our sins. And having purged our sins, then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having worked as our priest and done the function of a priest, he sat down as our king. Now you and I belong to Christ. In Christ, our priest, having purchased us by his sacrifice, now we belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. And what does a priest do as well? priest prays for us, God's people. Christ, our priest, prays for us. Think of the priest in the Old Testament. He would offer the blessing to God's people. Christ, our priest in heaven, prays for us. And he doesn't pray for us saying to God the Father, saying, Bless them because they have earned a blessing. But Christ prays for us on the basis of his merits. Bless these my people whom I have purchased. Bless them with all the blessings of salvation. Because of what I have done. Bless them for my sake. That's what our priest says in heaven. He intercedes for us in heaven. What's the evidence? What's the evidence that we are partakers of the anointing of Christ as regards his priesthood? The evidence... Catechism puts it this way, the evidence is that 
He gives us grace so that we present ourselves a living sacrifice of thankfulness. As Christ was anointed with the oil of gladness, he went about his service with gladness. But when he makes us partakers of that same anointing, as we have that oil of gladness, then we are made glad to serve our God. Glad to worship him in all of our lives. Glad to submit ourselves to his will and not our own will. Do you see that in your life, beloved? And I ask myself the same question. Do you see the evidence of being partaker of the anointing of Christ? And here again, we fall short. We see that we have not offered ourselves as sacrifices the way we ought to, with the zeal that we ought to have. And so again, we see our need of Christ, our priest. We need him to pray for us, to intercede for us, to point to his blood, to show that we are forgiven for his sake. And we need him to pray for us that he would give us his grace and Holy Spirit that we would serve him in this life. What a comfort to know that Christ is our king who rules over all things for our sakes, but he is also our priest who prays that God would bless us with blessings, all the blessings of salvation. He is an everlasting priest, and therefore the fruit of his intercession is also everlasting fruit. Why must he also be our prophet? He is king and priest. Why must he also be our prophet? The catechism puts it this way, because he must fully reveal to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. His being our priest and our king must be revealed to us. And it's striking that the passage that we read in Hebrews has reference also to his office of prophet. Verse 3 had reference to his priesthood and kingship, but verses 1 and 2 speak of his office as prophet. God the inspired writer says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. God spoke through the prophets of old. He revealed the truth in the scriptures concerning our redemption. But that wasn't a full revelation. God 
gave that revelation in the past. But now the writer to Hebrews is saying, but when God revealed his son, then we had a full revelation of God's will concerning our redemption. And now think of the promises that were given and the revelation that we had in the Old Testament. God had revealed already in the garden that he would send forth the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. But that was unclear. How would that happen? How would the seed of the woman crush the head of the serpent? There wasn't a full revelation until Jesus Christ came into the world. And when Christ came, then God finally revealed how his justice would be satisfied and how he would bring us back into fellowship with himself. When Christ came, then God revealed his counsel and will as to how he would redeem us through that perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross. When Christ suffered on the cross, then God revealed how his mercy could be harmonized with his justice. The justice having to be satisfied in also the way of showing mercy to us through that very same sacrifice. And when Christ rose from the dead, God revealed his counsel and will concerning our future hope of glory. If Christ has risen from the dead and he was taken into glory, then you and I also will one day rise from the dead. And we will be taken into glory. Jesus Christ was a full revelation of God's counsel and will. And even today, Christ continues to reveal the counsel and will of God. He continues to reveal the truth to us by his word and spirit through the preaching. What will be the result when we partake of the anointing of Christ as regards the office of prophet? The catechism says that I may confess his name. A prophet confesses his name. And that implies in the first place that God reveals truth. When God had prophets in the Old Testament, he would reveal his truth to them, and then they would speak of that truth to others. And so, in the first place, that we are anointed as regards the office of prophet means that God reveals his truth to us so that we know him and we know his will. He teaches us concerning his love for us in eternity. He teaches us concerning the perfect righteousness that you and I need to stand before 
the judgment seat of God. He teaches us concerning the grace that God gives us, that sanctifies us. He teaches us concerning how to show forth our thankfulness. And Jesus Christ, by his spirit and word, teaches us concerning our future hope of glory. That we are partakers means, partakers of the anointing means that we are receivers of that truth. We hear that truth and we believe it. And then we also confess it. That's what the catechism is talking about, that I may confess his name. We speak of that truth to others. We encourage others in the congregation with the truth of God's word and we confess that truth also before men wherever God places us. When we confess that truth that shows that we are partakers of his anointing. Do you show that in your life? There have been times that God gives to me, and I'm sure you have had opportunity as well to confess the name of Jesus Christ, and there again we fall short. We think to ourselves, I I should have said something. I had an opportunity to confess his name And so we need Christ. We need Christ, our chief prophet. We need him to declare to us again the truth of forgiveness, but also to declare to us the way to show our thankfulness. If we are truly thankful, we will want to confess his name before others. Beloved, we need a savior who can save us to the uttermost. We need Christ who is anointed as king and as priest and as prophet. We need such a savior. And God has given us such a savior in Jesus Christ. Look to him. Even as we partake of his anointing, continue to look to him for his grace and Holy Spirit. And he will supply. To him be all the glory in our salvation. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks that thou hast ordained and anointed a Savior, Jesus Christ, who graciously makes us partakers of his anointing. We confess that we fall short, we yet need thy Holy Spirit and thy grace to be given to us. So grant it, we pray, not because of anything in ourselves, but grant it for Christ's sake, that thy name might be praised in our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.